I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Friday, November 12th. I'm Karen Brown, November 13th, rather. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, as COVID-19 cases continue to rise nationally, state officials sound the alarm over the growing rates of coronavirus transmission. Then a Senate committee hears from housing advocates about the need for affordable housing as they prepare to draft legislation. Plus, how the Mississippi Arts Commission is aiding artists and organizations during the pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Cases of coronavirus are reaching new highs nationwide, and Mississippi is reporting the highest numbers in three months. Yesterday marked the second consecutive day of new COVID-19 cases in excess of 1,200, and COVID-related hospitalizations are also reaching levels unseen since the summer wave of infection. Governor Tate Reeves addressed the elevated numbers in a statement on Facebook. What we're seeing now is a significant uh, uptick in cases across the country uh, in, in virtually every state, uh, some of whom have taken uh, significant measures, some of whom have taken less significant measures to address it. And so we are seeing a pretty, uh, pretty significant uh, uptick across the board. Uh, we do find ourselves where um, we are seeing uh, more and more uh, challenges within our healthcare system. Uh, we want to remember that our goal is not to completely to ad- eradicate the virus or eliminate the virus because that's not a realistic goal. Uh, our goal is to make sure that every single Mississippian that can get better with quality care receives that quality care. And to do that, we've got to protect the integrity of our health care system. And as the numbers tick up, it gets increasingly uh, more challenging uh, to do so. So we're monitoring that very, very closely. The high number of cases also has the attention of the state's top health officials. State epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers says the number of new cases in the last two weeks is astounding. Looking at the last couple of weeks, we've seen uh, more than 10,000 new cases, which is pretty astounding. We've seen uh, almost 150 
new deaths, which is, is pretty astounding. So I think the numbers tell us uh, for sure that we are, are heading into a, uh, a, an increase in our cases and a surge, and we're doing it right before the holidays, which is very concerning. DeSoto County in North Mississippi is one of 15 counties under an executive order by Governor Tate Reeves requiring face coverings in public to slow the spread of the coronavirus. According to the governor, DeSoto had nearly as many coronavirus cases in one week as three central Mississippi counties combined. One of the counties that there's been a lot of discussion about, uh, as I appreciate it, uh, is Uh, the county of DeSoto up in the north part of our state, and particularly in lieu of the fact that it is uh, a county that over the two-week period uh, of the data that we looked at had more positive cases than any other county in the state. In fact, over that two-week period, DeSoto had 901 uh, cases. Just to put that in perspective, uh, I did a little bit of uh, research, a little math. If you look at Hines, Rankin, and Madison counties combined, There are 493,000 people in Hines, Rankin, and Madison County in Mississippi. Uh, So um, in DeSoto County, there's approximately 184,000 people. Over the same two-week period, Hines, Rankin, and Madison had uh, approximately a little over 970 total cases. Meanwhile, DeSoto, with approximately one-third the population, had 901 cases. And so when you look at that, it's very obvious that Um, that that is a county that we're very concerned about. Uh, We want to strongly encourage our uh, friends and neighbors in DeSoto County that if you go in public, wear a mask. Uh, Think about not only yourself, but your friends and your neighbors and uh, and your kids and your grandkids and your moms and your dads and your grandmoms and your granddads. Um, Because if we work together, we can truly slow uh, the spread of this virus. Dr. Byers, along with State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs, say the rising cases in DeSoto County should serve as a cautionary tale for the rest of the state. DeSoto has um, has put up a little bit of defiance um, in these preventive measures, and so uh, they haven't seen, you know, it's hard to say for sure that one causes the other, but certainly um, DeSoto is, is on fire. I mean, it's red-hot cases. And if I lived in DeSoto, I wouldn't go out. I'd stay in my house as much as possible and be very, very careful because the communities in those in DeSoto County are absolutely eat up with coronavirus. But when you embrace the mask, when you embrace the mask mandate, I think for the for those counties, I, I think we've demonstrated that um, you can see it, uh, a, a pretty rapid decline in in the overall number of cases that are occurring in those counties. But it, but it takes that in, embracing. While mask mandates are being issued in a targeted manner on counties with specific transmission criteria, Dobbs says mitigation is most effective if everyone wears masks. We think that everyone needs to wear a mask when they're around other people that are not the nuclear family. So whatever is the best mechanism to achieve that, that's what we support. Uh, you know, we are in the sort of like the, you know, the high-risk counties right now. And so if you're in a high-risk county, you know, got to do it. But if you're not in a high-risk county, you still need to wear it. We've heard a bunch of stories about where when the mask mandate fell, um, people had the false impression that the risk was lower. And it wasn't. The risk was not lower. And we've seen, especially in church congregations, big outbreaks because the churches let their guard down. Um, And we know that churches are a real dangerous sort of environment for, for spread. Um, because not only do you have a lot of people who don't see each other all the time, and you know, so you have that, but you have an intermixing of young and old, 
and it's a real powder keg for outbreaks and deaths, just to be honest. While the nation collectively is currently experiencing the highest infection rates of the pandemic, Reeves maintains that Mississippi will address mitigation at the state level. We as a state are going to continue with our strategy. It's got to be targeted, targeted to those counties where the number of cases are much greater than other areas across the state. Um, It does us no uh, great um, good to shut down counties just so we can go on Facebook Live or national TV or otherwise and say, hey, look at us, we've been shutting things down. We're trying to open things up, but to do it in a safe, responsible way. We're not going to shut down businesses. Uh, We're not going to have long-term mandates with no end in sight. We're going to be transparent. We're going to talk to you, the people of Mississippi, when we have um, additional restrictions that are put in place. We're going to tell you where we're doing it, why we're doing it, and what we're trying to uh, accomplish by doing it. As transmission grows in the community, some schools are being forced to move to virtual distance learning to avoid further spread of the virus. Dr. Dobbs says even though masks are currently required in all schools, the move to virtual instruction is the safest choice. Masks are currently required for everybody in a school or if you're a parent visiting a school. So right now, private and public, got to wear a mask. Um, Will it be for the entire school year? Boy, it'd have to be pretty dramatically better for us to imagine that wouldn't be the case. Um, You know, we're seeing a lot more schools going virtual now. Um, And I think that's not a bad idea as as, as hairy as it's been. We have seen a phenomenal number of school outbreaks. And, you know, right now it's just, it's a, it's a hard time. We've done really well so far, but we're starting to see some chinks in the armor. Dobbs is also hopeful an effective vaccine will be another prong in the mitigation strategy. He says he has a good feeling about the vaccine based on current data. Based on the initial information we have, um, I'm feeling really good about it. I mean, the efficacy, although short term, certainly, you know, meets and exceeds our expectations. And looking at the safety signals, they look really good. We will continue to look at them very closely. Um, We are well connected with the people at the federal level, but also at the CDC and the Advisory Committee for Immunization Practice. These are external people. These are experts who are not in any way connected with the process, and we think it's going to get a good, thorough review. Um, But before we come out in strong support of anything, we want to look at it ourselves and make sure that we've seen all the data. But right now, I think things are looking very positive, and I would feel very comfortable giving it to myself and my family based on what we've seen so far. Mississippi has now topped 130,000 total cases of COVID-19 with 3,514 related deaths. Coming up, a Senate committee hears from housing advocates about the need for affordable housing as they prepare to draft legislation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks.
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The need for affordable housing for low-income Mississippi families is a growing problem, especially during the coronavirus pandemic, according to housing officials. To assess potential solutions, the Senate Housing Committee is holding hearings to help draft legislation to combat the problem. Scott Spivey is with Mississippi Home Corporation. He explains the pandemic is affecting housing differently than the subprime mortgage crisis a decade ago. You know, we talked to our mortgage servicing partners and we did not have a lot of requests for forbearance in our portfolio. Um, You know, now, you know, and I talk to my counterparts in other states all the time. You know, Alabama did have some, you know, they saw some. We were surprised by the the low number. Um, So default rates have not drastically gone up under the mortgage revenue bond program. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that the unfortunate fact that a lot of the people affected directly by the pandemic tend to be renters. Whereas we had a mortgage crisis 10 years ago that affected people who owned their homes, this crisis tends to affect low-income renters first, um, which is why we have rental assistance as a priority. Uh, and we had, Now, that's not to say that no homeowners are affected. When uh, the governor announced us reopening mortgage assistance, we got like hundreds of calls within the next 48 hours, uh, and we we were able to help people. We're still working through that pipeline of applications, um, but it has not drastically affected. And that's kind of counterintuitively, like I was saying when we were talking about the mortgage revenue bond program. People are still borrowing. People are, you know, if you talk to if you talk to lenders, you talk to realtors. You know, people are out there because the interest rate's just too good to pass up, right? Like if you if you know. We're mid to low threes with $7,000 coming with it. If you're just going to the bank, you know, with good credit, you can get sub three. That's, that's free money. I mean, you know, some people remember double-digit interest rates, which is like credit card rates right now. While the pandemic is more directly affecting today's renters, Spivey says there are still lingering effects of the housing crisis. He says the inventory of affordable single-family homes has declined. And one of the things that we've learned recently in taking some applications is that as banks are tightening up their underwriting standards, uh, we have a little bit more flexibility. And one of the problems that we see is on the homeownership side, you have an inventory problem. And that's nationwide. That's not just Mississippi. Nobody is building in the affordable space, right? 120 to $180,000, $190,000 homes that are new, that's just not happening anywhere. Um, builders, especially since 08 and 09 and the, big, the, 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 the Great Recession, tend to go for the bigger ones. Home builders were especially hard hit with that economic downturn, and so they tend to go for the larger custom homes. Nobody's providing new inventory at the affordable level with, for first-time home buyers. And so this program has an opportunity, as banks tend to tighten their underwriting standards, for us to really meet a need that's there. And so you'll probably be hearing a lot more about that, you know, especially conversations that I've had with our board of directors and some of our applicants. We'll probably be advertising this a lot harder in the coming months. Shantae Crockett operates an entrepreneurship program in West Jackson where she wants to make affordable housing more available in the community. She says her groups has helped her groups have helped investors put 28 homes back on the tax rolls. 
since I've been working for CSE in the three, the four years that I've been with them, we've put 28 houses, abandoned, blighted homes, back on the tax roll. Um, we recruit local investors. We um, we help them get the house either through the state or we match them up because what we've done is we've cataloged every house in our area and we know the owners and if we don't know the owners we research and we find them and we match them up and those local investors call them um, buy them and renovate them and now we have JSU students living in them we have young families we have three teachers that have moved into the neighborhood um, but yeah, we're just trying to build our community because we know that we may not always get the help we need from someone else. And so if we can do it ourselves, we do what we can. Incentive programs and in education are available through the Mississippi Home Corporation, one of which helps teachers in high needs communities. Um, housing assistance for teachers. This is uh, a $6,000 grant uh, for teachers who agree to teach for three years in a critical teacher shortage area. We recently brought this up for uh, a renewal in January, and it passed. We'll be back again this coming January because we got a one-year extension. Um, it's a great program. It can be stacked with other forms of down payment assistance to really help teachers uh, buy homes in the areas that they're going to teach. Scott Spivey says education for first-time homebuyers is also part of the Home Corps mortgage program. Homebuyer education is something that we run uh, constantly, uh, continue to uh, receive grants from HUD for homebuyer education um, that we use through local counseling agencies. We require homebuyer education on all of our mortgage products. That's a one-day class that folks can take, but we feel that you know it does have a benefit on uh, the way folks under, you know, the way folks understand their mortgages, they understand their responsibilities, they understand their rights as they go into that long-term financial relationship with the with their mortgage servicer. The hearing continues today. The legislative session begins in January. Coming up, how the Mississippi Arts Commission is aiding artists and organizations during the pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jermaine Flood. Join me along with Tara Wren for Chalkboard Chat, a MPB education podcast dedicated to providing up-to-date resources for teachers, parents, guardians, students, and education enthusiasts. Each episode will feature knowledgeable experts and interesting guests. Chalkboard Chat premieres Friday, November 13th. For more information, visit education.mpbonline.org. Class is now in session. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The coronavirus pandemic has had a tremendous impact on the nation's economy. And while some businesses are starting to bounce back, the arts and entertainment industry is still struggling. To assist local artists during this difficult time, the Mississippi Arts Commission is offering rapid response grants in response to the changing needs of artists and arts organizations during the COVID-19 pandemic. MAC's Director of Grants, Melody Moody Thortis, shares more with our Michael Guidry. When you think about artists, it's not just individual artists, it's organizations, it's museums, theaters, anything that has performing, you know, or has something to do with public spaces, right? All of these are impacted in such a huge way. So, you know, we're hearing from artists of every genre 
that is struggling with lost income, that is struggling with canceled shows, uh, people that really depend, you know, on this gig economy, um, you know, for their livelihood. And so we're hearing from a lot of people. I will say that while it has impacted um, artists and arts organizations across the state, I'm also hearing a lot of hope. Um, and I think that artists and arts organizations are also encouraging one another and trying to think of new ways to face this pandemic and to continue to be creative and continue to do their work. The Arts Commission, part of its mission is is to support artists during normal times. So um, how have you adapted your your programming, uh, especially maybe like your grant programming, um, during this time to meet artists where they are during the pandemic? So we have um, we we have provided emergency assistance in three phases. So everyone should be familiar with the CARES Act that was passed that was distributed, you know, to different types of organizations across the nation. So the National Endowment for the Arts received CARES funding, which they then gave to state arts agencies across the nation. So we were able to award almost $500,000 in emergency grant funding through the CARES Act. So that was 61 Mississippi Arts Institutions who received operating funding from the Arts Commission through the CARES Act from the NEA. In addition, our second phase, we were able to get $60,000 granted to us from South Arts, which is a regional partner, and we were able to give $60,000 to 23 additional arts organizations. Um, from that South Arts and NEA CARES money. Then we took, the, the Arts Commission took funds that we had from state funding, and we were able to give nearly $50,000 in what we call rapid response grants um, to artists and particular organizations. So we have been very busy um, trying to do everything that we can to get money into the hands of artists and into the hands of arts institutions for their survival during this time. That, that's a lot of assistance, and I know a lot of it's you know, severely needed uh, in the gig economy for, for artists. You mentioned the, the rapid response grants. Um, you have an application window for a, another round of those coming up. Uh, tell us a little bit more about what they are and you know, who could be eligible. That's right. So our rapid response grants open on Monday, November 16th, meaning that is when they start to be available to the public to apply. And then the deadline is Friday, December 4th at 11.59 p.m., so right before midnight on December 4th. So that's the deadline. So if you are an individual artist that is a professional artist in some way in Mississippi, you can apply for up to $500. And that covers um, a couple different things. You can apply to attend a workshop or a training. You can apply to purchase um, expendable artistic supplies. You can apply for promotional materials, help with your website, business cards, that kind of thing. Or our new category with this particular grant is you can apply for assistance to adapt your work to a virtual or social distance setting. If you're an organization in Mississippi, 
Now, that, is, that would be a unit of government or a nonprofit. You would be eligible with these rapid response grants to apply for up to $1,000, and that covers professional development. You could um, hire one of our roster artists, or you could apply, as I said, to adapt your organizational organization's work to a virtual or social distance setting. So that is the main difference. This is kind of an expansion on our mini-grant program that we're running several times throughout the year with kind of a COVID spin where, as you can tell, we're trying to allow some adaptations for this new reality that we're living in. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you feel is really important to articulate regarding MAC and its mission? Well, I personally think that it's important to recognize that MAC is doing a lot of work um, in the areas of inclusion, diversity, equity, and access. And, in fact, our rapid response grants that we talked about earlier do give priority um, to underserved communities, um, people of color, and um, people in typically um, underrepresented or marginalized um, communities. Uh, so that's something that I would just kind of bring attention to. I think that it's something that um, the Arts Commission is is passionate about, and we will you will continue to hear about um, when it comes to our work. I would encourage everyone to follow us on Facebook, and of course to visit our website at arts.ms.gov uh, to learn more. We've got a lot going on, and you'll be hearing a lot more from Mac in the near future. Well, Melody Moody Thordis. Director of Grants for the Mississippi Arts Commission. Uh, thank you for your time, and thank you for what you and the organization do to help artists in Mississippi. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already, and if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.